Hi again everyone, welcome back to our second session of Helping Others to Freedom. And in this session we're going to look, um, following on from the last one, at sins and repentance. Now the whole of this um, series is all about breaking through barriers to blessing. How we can get through obstacles that so often we feel are between us and God. And uh, it's discerning what those actually are. That, that's vital because if we misdiagnose what the blockage is, we'll probably uh, apply a wrong remedy uh, or attempted cure. And so uh, in my book, and I encourage you to read that if you haven't already, but it's going to be reflected in this series. Um, I, I generally boil the, the, the blockages down to three categories. That there are the areas of sins, then there are wounds and also demons. And I'm not saying that's exhaustive. There can be other things going on in our lives. But generally speaking, I've discovered in ministering to others that the, the barriers to blessing, the blockages are in these three areas, sins, wounds and demons. And the remedy for each of these problems is different. That's why it's very important to diagnose what your problem is. And very often we are a combination of all of these, it has to be said. But where sins are concerned, the answer for sin is repentance. When it's a wound, you need healing. And if there are demons, they need to be cast out. And you can't cast out a sin. You can't heal a sin. You, you, you can't repent of a wound. You can't cast out a wound. And sometimes in deliverance ministry, that's what people are doing. They're trying to cast out wounds from people and they're actually further traumatizing them. In the same way, demons can't be repented of and demons can't be healed. They have to be expelled. And so it's vital that we understand and we need the Holy Spirit's discernment to know what's actually going on. We need his finger to pinpoint where the problem is so that we can be healed and set free. And can I say, this is the reason why some people aren't healed and set free. And maybe they're continually coming forward for prayer and, and services and they're not seeing the breakthrough they long for because the actual root issues of the problem have not been discovered. Now in this session, again, we're going to continue on looking at, at sins. And so it's necessary that we repent. Now, repentance has been characterized as a U-turn, and there's a sense in which that's true, an about turn. But it's also a change of mind, where we change how we think about ourselves, how we think about life, how we think about sin and self. The first command uh, of Jesus in the Gospels is Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, we see that, that this is the message right throughout. It's the first word of the Gospel. It's the message right throughout uh, the New Testament. Even the book of Revelations, we find that the churches are told there to repent, repent, repent. And so, Repentance is, is an issue that all Christians need to come to grips with and it's going to be a flavour right throughout our lives. It is really taking responsibility for the ungodly behaviour that is ours. And so it's not enough. And there might be wounds in your life. Most of us have them. And there might be demonic instrumentality in your experience also. But it's not enough to point at others or point at the devil and say he made me do it or it's their fault. Repentance is actually owning up and taking responsibility 
for our own actions. Now, don't misunderstand me. Satan can make it very, very hard. The Bible describes how he actually takes people captive to do his will. And there's no doubt about it, he can make things very, very complex. But the question is, how have I, how have you cooperated with the enemy? How have you been involved? I often think of the story of the demoniac of Gadara in Mark 5, one passage, and he was the man with a legion of demons, and uh, nobody had an answer for him. And we see when, we, when Jesus came to the shore of Gadara, where he was, the man threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, some people might say, oh, that was the demons recognizing who Jesus was. I'm not sure that's the case, because the demons actually cried out and said, what are we to do with you, Jesus? And they wanted to go in the opposite direction to Jesus. It appears to me that there was something, even though this man was heavily demonized, Legion, maybe it was between four to 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. He could have had as many demons as that. No one in society could tr control him. And yet he, there was some propensity within him to throw himself at the feet of Jesus. And I, I find that very encouraging because no matter how broken you are, no matter how wrecked by sin, no matter how much the enemy has a foothold or a stranglehold in your life, you still have got the ability to reach out and approach Jesus Christ for help. And I want to encourage you to do that because so many people want God to zap them um, or want us to pray for them, uh, but they don't want to take responsibility for themselves. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God can come miraculously and touch people and there are great miracles happen when we pray for one another. But we can't choose those things at the expense of actually taking responsibility for ourselves. A lot of people want a quick fix. And I think we find something like this in Acts the Apostles chapter 8. We read of a man called Simon the Magician. In Acts 8 verse 9, if you'll read this passage with me, it says there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he, he, amazed, he was amazed uh, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. The J.B. Phillips translation translates that to hell with you and your money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right 
in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Wow. I think what's going on here is whether Simon was a true believer or not, it's hard to know. But he saw the miraculous and he was converted in some way and then he was baptized. But when he saw the apostles laying hands on these Samaritan Christians and them receiving the Holy Spirit, he was overawed and he said, I want that and I'm prepared to pay money for that. And when Peter heard that, in verse 22, he calls upon him to repent of his wickedness. Now, I want you to see this. Did Simon Magus have demonic problems? It's very possible he did because of the alcohol background that he had. And in fact, Peter says in verse 23 that he saw that he was poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And as we'll see in other sessions, bitterness or unforgiveness is something that does poison us and eat us up and it gives the enemy a right to come in and oppress us. And here we see the language of bondage used bound by iniquity and that might be something generational that that Simon Magus experienced. So he very likely did have demonic issues. Did he have wounds in his life? I'm sure he did because we all usually do. But I want you to notice this. Peter did not exercise him of a demon. He didn't perform a deliverance. The first thing he called Simon to do in verse 22 was repent of your wickedness. Now that's important. But it's also noteworthy to see in verse 24 that Simon cried out, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things that you have spoken may come upon me. He's essentially saying, Fix me! And this can be our attitude at times when we need help. When we need freedom, we just want somebody to wave a magic wand or to click their fingers or pray a special formulaic prayer and all of a sudden we are whole again. But the question I'm asking you in this session is, um, are you prepared for personal repentance? Because it's essential. It's vital. It's a serious matter, our sin. Um, Psalm 66 verse 18 says that our sin and iniquity separates us from God. Now we know at the cross that separation has been obliterated through the sacrifice of Jesus, but we can't be ignorant of the fact that if we want to have fellowship with God, if we actually want to know the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ and truly avail of all the love and blessings that he has for us, we need to know that our, our own willful sin will block the way. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, um, we're told to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. In 1 John 1, we're told to walk in the light as, as God is in the light. And then we fellowship one with the other and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's vital to understand that if we cannot presume on Calvary covering things that we will not uncover. I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying that we're not right with God. But I am saying that if we want to truly have fellowship, we must uncover what we want Calvary to cover. We must not presume either upon the protection of God if we are willingly and knowingly cooperating with the enemy. 
And this diagram, I showed it to you the last time, it's a vital one in understanding the boundaries. That if we step out from God's covering, essentially, if, if we move out of the realm of faithfulness and submission and obedience to God, that's the realm of safety. If we step out of that into disobedience, that's the realm of danger and, and darkness. When we rebel against God and his will, we effectively remove ourselves from the covering and protection of God. It's not that God doesn't want to have our back anymore. It's we have chosen to move out from his covering and we've become exposed. I remember ministering to a guy on one occasion and he was a professing Christian. He said he believed the Lord, uh, uh, but he wasn't living um, in, a, in a good way. He, he was living uh, with someone that wasn't his wife and he knew that he wasn't following the Lord as he should and he was in demonic problems and he couldn't understand why it was but then he told me the story that I'd actually gone on a ghost tour um, and he thought this was just like a thing of fairy tales and fables um, around a certain area but then the ghost tour turned into a, a seance and uh, they were trying to contact the dead and I was pointing out to this man that it's no surprise that he's got into spiritual difficulties and he said he just stood at the side of the crowd and said no I'm going to stay here because I'm a Christian I'm blood-bought by Jesus and I'm safe but he presumed upon protection when he'd stepped out of the realm of obedience and safety and the Passover really tells the same story and I relayed this to the, that man the day I was speaking to him, that when the Israelites took the blood of the lamb and painted it on the doorposts and the lintel of the door, they had to shelter under the protection of that blood. They could have put the, the blood on their doors and then walked out and they would have been slain. The firstborn would have been slain because they were disobedient. They didn't shelter beneath the protection of the blood. And so we, if we want to be safe, we need to abide, not presume upon God's protection and there is great grace and there is great faithfulness in, in our God and our Father. I want you to understand that but what I'm saying is we need to take sin seriously. And let me talk to you about some common hindrances in regards to um, truly repenting of our sin and this might surprise you because you, you might have from what I've just said think well then do we need to be perfect or something otherwise we're in trouble. No it's not that at all. But let me help you with this. Because actually the, the desire to be perfect is an issue that often is a stumbling block and a, a barrier to blessing in our lives and actually can hinder us coming to true repentance. And maybe you're one of these people that has experienced, like many of us have, failure after failure after failure and, and you just decided to give up. It could be that your problem actually deep down is one of perfectionism. Do you know that it, it's not just the high flyers and the successful people and society that are perfectionists but it's actually the dropouts not just the overachievers but the people who give up and throw in the towel because perfectionism can lead to procrastination and then eventually to paralysis and what I'm talking about is the idea if I can't do it perfectly then I'm not going to do it at all and in the spiritual realm we can get spiritual dropouts too and because I feel the Lord or I keep slipping up in a certain area or I'm not perfect in holiness, I, I, I just, I, I give in and give up. 
One illustration I give of this, and it certainly applies to me, is the, the quiet time. And I don't really uh, like that phrase, but, but you understand what I mean. Your time with God. And so often at the beginning of the year, um, I've decided to adopt a reading scheme, maybe reading the Bible through the year, which isn't a bad thing to do, of course. But how many of you have had this experience? You start off on January 1st and you get your chapters read and then maybe January 2nd, 3rd, 4th. But before the end of that first week, somewhere along the way, whether it's too much turkey or too many lies in, you end up missing a chapter or two or maybe even missing a day. And the pressure comes on you. Oh no, I'll have to do two lots of readings tomorrow, two days in one day. Or maybe you miss more than one day and it's two or three days you're trying to cram in at the weekend. Rather than just deciding, well, look, I missed today. So let's pick up today for today's readings and forget about yesterday. You might say, well, that's terrible. But but really is it? Because what often happens is this. You skip so many days that you get overwhelmed with catching up that at the end of the year, maybe by February or March, you've given up entirely in the end of the year you maybe only have the book of Genesis read or something like that. Whereas if you just skipped the day you missed and carried on the the day that you're on, maybe you would have 80%, 85% of the Bible read. And which would be better? The majority of the Bible read or very little of it read. But you see what perfectionism does. If I can't do it perfectly, then I'll not do it at all. the, The next slide shows you the difference between perfectionism and excellence. Perfectionism looks like the straight line where as excellence can be the squiggly line, but you get there in the end. I don't know if you have an expression where you live, um, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And that's often the work ethic that we've been brought up with. But G.K. Chesterton said something that is a bit counterintuitive for most of us. He said, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Ooh, does that grate with you? Think about that for a moment. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And that's true. I mean, if it's worth doing, just do it. Whether you do it perfectly or not, whether you do it badly or well, just do what's worth doing because it's worth doing. Your problem in repentance could be perfectionism. Failure is at a rate of 100%. You do know that, don't you? And failure, one out of one people fail, and it is an occupational hazard of giftedness and indeed of anything that we do in this life. It's a very dangerous state of mind to have a perfectionist outlook in an imperfect world. It's actually spiritually a form of legalism. Whereas the Bible doesn't so much talk about perfection in that sense of never ever failing, but it talks about perseverance of the saints. Someone once said, perseverance of the saints is made up of 10,000 new beginnings. I love uh, Proverbs 24 verse 16 in the New Living Translation. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. So don't give in to perfectionism. Get up again. Repent again. Keep going. One fruit of perfectionism is another common hindrance and that is introspection. That is where you turn in on yourself. You turn inside. You're constantly carving up yourself on your own dissection table. And we Christians are experts at that because we want to be good little boys and girls. And if we've had a religious upbringing, that that can be uh, accentuated. But I love Psalm 139 
um, verse 23, 24. Search me, O God, the psalmist says, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's basically saying, Lord, you look inside of me and see if there's anything there that I need to pay attention to and deal with. But I'm not looking in on myself. If you look on yourself, the devil will give you all the, the material that you need to actually drive you mad and give up. But only look inward when the Lord directs you inward to issues that he wants you to deal with. And the beautiful thing is, rather than being overwhelmed, he will take you at the pace and to the, 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 the capacity of things that you can you can bear at any given point. So there's perfectionism, there's introspection, there's also being too passive. And some of us were spoiled as children and um, in our upbringing we had everything done for us. And we, sometimes in charismatic Pentecostal circles it can be like this, that we're waiting on God just to strike us with lightning and fix our problems when actually we need to be active in repentance, doing something. And I know repentance is a grace and all that, but God will help you in repentance and His Holy Spirit is doing the work anyway. But we need to actually be in it. We need to be a part of it. And maybe you need to ask God to strengthen your will with His own divine strength his fatherly strength so that you might actually move towards him to do the right thing. So those are some common hindrances. And I want to finish off by talking about how confession is a key. Amos talks about God's word being a plumb line of truth. Amos 3, 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And we know that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so many of us want the grace of God, but we're not prepared to have the truth and the fact of the matter is that grace and truth go together and if you want grace you got to walk in truth john 8 32 tells us you shall know the truth jesus says and the truth will set you free for some of us is strongholds of the mind lies that we're believing stronghold is like a castle and that castle is holding us in bondage because it's built upon the foundation of a lie our mindsets are warped you've heard of the trains of thought or the tracks of the mind and we've gone down certain routes so many times that it has gouged out like on a mud track in the jungle gouged out these these um these trails for the tires and our mind keeps going down a certain route but you've got to understand that the lord is able to change your mind renew your mind he's able to do miracles but but confession must happen you must actually say, confession simply means putting your hands up and saying guilty is charged to God. And, and sometimes it's not our sin that keeps us from God, it's our pride. We've built up walls of guilt and shame and it keeps the Lord out. But we actually need to come and agree with the Lord concerning our sin. That's what confession is. And there's great power when we confess to God. We bring it up and out of ourselves. Isaiah 6, it says that when Isaiah confessed his unclean lips, he was healed and cleansed in that moment when he confessed it. There's great power in confessing to God, but there's also great power in confessing to one another. And I'm not talking about like confessing to a priest. I'm talking about in James 5.16 when it says, Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It is our instinct whenever we sin and when we habitually fall into sin to withdraw not only from God, but withdraw from each other. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the garden? They withdrew with God, from God and they hid from him and they were afraid of God. 
God does not want us to be afraid. He went after Adam and Eve, seeking them. But we also not only withdraw from God's fellowship because we feel we've let him down, but we withdraw from each other. And the tragedy is, when we're struggling with sin, that is when we most need relationship with our Father in heaven and with each other. The problem is grace often comes from outside of us, from God. And when we build these walls against God and against deep relationships, we struggle all the more. But what God actually wants us to do with him as our father and with all our brothers and sisters is actually bring everything, even our struggles, our temptations and our failures into relationship with the father. Have you ever heard that before? He wants us to bring our sin into relationship with him. And that's actually the secret to holiness. Holiness isn't trying to rid ourselves of sin alone. That will not work. Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this next picture really illustrates that. I love this. I call this the two eyes of holiness, a bit of a play on the letter I and, and our physical eyes. But if we want to see the Lord, if we want to truly engage in a, a wonderful fellowship with him, we need identity and we need intimacy. We need to know who we are and we need to know God, who he is for us and to us. That's the two eyes of holiness. That's the way to be holy. Knowing that you're a child of God and when sin comes along in temptation to be able to say, well, I'm tempted, but that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am. And even when you fail, after you confess and repent, say, that's not who I am. And I'm not taking on that identity. But it's also the intimacy with God. That's going to make the difference that fills the void within us, the connection that we're all looking for. You see, boundaries are not enough. In fact, uh, part of us becomes resentful under the domination of the will and rebels against rules. Paul said that in Romans, didn't he? Rules don't work. It is relationship that works and brings us into true holiness and uh, free freedom from sin. Many folk are stuck in sin because they have no sense of being. That void I've spoken about, that emptiness. And so due to the sense of worth or satisfaction, they're reaching out for these fixes. And sin will either dull the emptiness or the pain that's in them. And we look at the, the trauma and, and the, the woundedness in later sessions. But sin will give them a momentary feel good. It'll give them that fix just like heroin does for the, the drug addict. But it, it can be the addiction cycle of any particular fix. Um, the cycle of addiction, as you see on your screen, is pain seeks out pleasure. And then what happens is you get guilty about the pleasure you sought out. And so the easiest thing to do is just jump back into the pain cycle. And then that perpetuates the guilt, etc. The enemy gets us into this tailspin. But true holiness is knowing who you are, identity, and intimacy with God. Knowing your God intimately. And that is what brings wholeness. Yes, probably wounds need healing in your life. And maybe demons need to be cast out. But one thing is for sure, you must confess your sin. You must bring them up and out to God. And by faith, as you bring those sins up to him and let the cross take them all, Jesus absorbed them all on the cross and carried away our sin. As those go into him, let his true holiness and wholeness come down into you. I love the message rendering of 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. It goes like this. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, 
make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. God wants to make you holy, H-O-L-Y, and whole, W-H-O-L-E. And you cannot be holy without being whole, and you cannot be whole without being holy. Some people go down the religious, legalistic route, being holy, but they're still broken and limping to heaven. Other people want to be whole. They want fixed, healed, set free, but they don't want to give their lives completely to Jesus and be a disciple of his. Listen, you cannot be holy without being whole. You cannot be whole without being holy. So if you do want to take those steps to freedom, let me encourage you to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you go to preachtheword.com, you'll be able to download the notes, follow along this session again, take notes yourself, fill them in. But also there's a prayer there, a Lordship prayer, which is based on a prayer by LL Ministries, but I've amended it with their permission. And you can print this out and it simply says this. You can pray it along with me when you're ready, if you're ready. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess you now as my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer and my Deliverer. I welcome you now to be Lord of every area of my life. Maybe you've never taken this step of confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. But this is an all-encompassing prayer. Look at the vastness of what it covers. Be Lord of my spirit, of my worship, my conscience, and my spiritual perception. Be Lord of my mind, of my thoughts, my understanding, and my imagination. Be Lord of my emotions and each feeling I experience. Be Lord of my will, of my choices and motives, of my plans and all my intentions. Be Lord of my body and of my health, all my actions and all my senses. Of my sight and the things I would look at along with every look that I give out of my hearing and all that I listen to, of my speech and conversation and of everything that enters my mouth. Be Lord of my sexuality and all its expressions. Be Lord of my hands, the tasks that they engage in and anything they touch. Be Lord of my feet, each step that I take and every path that I travel. Be Lord of my finances as they come in and go out and of all my belongings. Be Lord of my time, of my labours, my leisure, my sleep and my dreams. Be Lord of my relationships, of my friends, my co-workers, my church, my marriage and my family. Be Lord of my ambitions and any plans for my future. Be Lord of the timing of my passing from this world to the next. Lord Jesus, I thank you for shedding your blood that I might be cleansed and set free. I place myself into your hands, spirit, soul and body. Amen. Wow, what a prayer. If you've prayed that, you've taken the first step. It's not that you've got it sorted in all these areas, but you're saying, Lord, I am willing for you to make changes where they need to be. I'm willing for you to come in and heal and transform and set free. But you've got to own your sin. You've got to confess it and repent. Change your mind. Turn from it to Jesus to get the help. Lord, I pray for people who are watching this who have issues that they have fallen foul of over and over again they've been in this addictive cycle or the failure upon failure cycle or their perfectionist uh, introspective or or their passive lord i pray in the name of jesus that you'll break that cycle that you'll break strongholds of the mind that you'll break the lies of the devil and set them free and by your grace they will be enabled to come to the place of truth to acknowledge what you think and feel about our sinfulness. But thank you that it's all in love, Father. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, it's in love that you, you 
Jesus took all our sin on the cross so that we would be set free from it. And you want us free from it because it destroys our lives. So by the power of your blood, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will set people free now. And I speak the freedom of Christ over everyone watching and help those who are desiring to help others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next time.